And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other amazing podcasts like No Straight Path, hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde. Now, by shedding light on the stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles, No Straight Path aims to humanize success from the millennial perspective. Featuring guests from all walks of life, No Straight Path aims to inspire conversations around the nuanced perspectives of success. Now, if some of these topics at home, you're going to love this show. Success is all about maximizing happiness. An interview with Esther Agbaji about finding your voice. Success is communal with Yvonne Doc Aswad. Now, if these topics are interesting to you, make sure to check out No Straight Path wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear me on The Blacklist, a podcast with Ulysses Osuna. We speak all things startups, personal branding, and billion-dollar goals. Yeah, is it a passion project for you, or is it there a lot of money in this project, and that's um, why you want to move forward? Listen, man, if if you can make money, you'll find you'll find some passion around it. But <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing this uh, just for fun. I'm building a company that's that's going to be successful. I mean, yeah. that's always what I focus on. I work in disruptive industries or with cutting edge technologies and try and build that from the ground up so that there's some sort of acquisition event or exit event so that it's successful. And early on, it's a lot of work. And early on, if, if you ask anybody, like the money in startups doesn't come till much later on, right? right? Like you gamble a little bit of your time so that in the future you could have an exit event. So you're figuring everything. Like when I'm working in a startup, I'm coming in at zero. When I say zero, it's like pre-revenue. So we haven't made any money day one. And you got to figure out all the sales, all the marketing, all the HR, finance, logistics, hire all the right people, raise the money from the right investors. That's also a reason why I'm here right now. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I subject myself to working in startups because it's, it's craziness, but it's a lot of fun for me. And I've yeah. worked in startups as an operator. When I say operator, like CRO, CEO, like I am now, the head of sales and marketing, VP sales and marketing. I've worked in startups like that. I've also worked as uh, like a fractional CXO. So working with a whole bunch of startups is almost like a consultant. Right. And that's sort of been like my, my career. I mean, like if you Google me, a lot of the stuff that comes up is the podcast that I built brand that I've built, but ultimately all that fun stuff has been built off what I do in my nine to five. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking off camera that right now you are kind of building up your personal brand. I'd say you do a great job because you have a million followers on Instagram. You have a ton of downloads on your own, on your own, you know, podcast. Yeah. Um, why are you building your personal brand now? And are you helping any, you know, any other companies kind of do that, do the same? So 
a great question because everything that I do for myself, I do for the companies where I'm leading those companies. Yeah. Right now I'm in a CEO role, but previous I was heading up all sales and marketing and the content strategy that I use for myself, get my own podcast out there and to get sort of my name in front of as many eyeballs as possible. I use that if I'm going to take a product to market. Right. So why do I do it? I mean, uh, building a, building a strong brand is important for any company, but I think the reason why I'm doing it for myself is because I can take that with me anywhere I go. True. So I started doing, I mean, I'm this, I'm a student of the Gary V's and the Grant Cardone's of the world that have built incredible brands, love them or hate them, but you know, their name, or at least, you know, some of their names, right? Yeah. And the thing is when you build a name and you build a tribe and you build an audience and a community like that, you can take any product that you take to market and you immediately have eyeballs on it. So you look at what Gary Vaynerchuk's done with VaynerMedia, Vayner Sports, Empathy Wines, all the products that he wants to launch, he immediately has eyeballs on it. Yeah. And he has eyeballs on that product. So why not get started? Because building a personal brand is what? It's just talking on social, usually for free, about things that you already love and care about and you're passionate about. Right. You build an audience of like-minded individuals around that thing. You do it over a period of time. You're going to have a large community and that's going to benefit you no matter what you do. So right now, I pivot from tech to CPG. I can bring that company in front of the million people that I can talk to on social. I can yeah. talk about it on my podcast. I can run ads on my podcast for my own company if I want. I could do whatever I want, but that's because I spent well about four years now, every single day, putting out content across social, across podcasts, across newsletter. I do that purposefully. So then 20, 30 years, I don't know if I'm going to be with on me. I have no idea what's going to happen with right. this company, but whatever I'm working on then, I still have my name, right? Yeah. So that's the goal. And what is your goal with this current company? Is it also another exit? Always. Yeah. I mean, that's what my investors want and yeah, got to yeah. do, do well for them. But yes, so the goal is with a CPG company, um, get it into the hands through direct-to-consumer, Amazon, Shopify, Walmart.com, get it into retailers through distribution. So you're in the Walmart, the Publix, the CVS is the targets. And then ultimately you grow that way. Yeah. And then eventually you look for, like we raised a, a pre-seed and now we're looking to raise the next round, which is why I'm here. And you keep raising rounds, you keep scaling the company. And eventually, I mean, you can sell it. Usually around the $50 million in annual revenue mark is when larger companies will start looking at you. Yeah. So like the, any of the large, any of the large, uh, like Procter & Gamble or anything like that, they'll start looking at you to, to acquire. Um, if you want to push it further, you want to take it to like the $100 million or you know, $200 million revenue mark, then you're going to get some serious buyers because now it's a meaningful acquisition. And then if you want to push it further than that, as you raise more money and continue to scale, then you're looking at like IPO, yeah. making the company public. Yeah. Now, I don't know where we're going to be. We sort of, you know, as we, as we scale our revenue and we're still very early, I mean, the company is only about a year and a half old, scale our revenue, eventually we'll start to look at offers and see where we want to go. And maybe, maybe we don't want to sell at a $50 million revenue mark with the multiple on our EBITDA and that's our valuation. Maybe we do want to take it all the way and go IPO. And that's a conversation yeah. with the investors that are on the board, our stakeholders, our equity holders. So yeah, I mean, that'd be huge. Dude, huge well, if you I mean, that's always the goal, right? And then like, you always have to, you always have to understand, is it the right time to sell? Is it not? I mean, with my last company, uh, it was a very good time to sell. So we yeah. had a product that did very well during COVID. It was a SaaS product, a software product that removed a lot of processes that somebody in a control room like that would be doing. So we had a lot of traction during COVID for our software product. So coming out of COVID, it was the right time, right place. We had a great offer. So for, for the founder CEO, because that wasn't me, yeah. I joined a CRO. For the founder CEO, that was a good offer, right? That was a good time. Um, I don't know what we're going to do, but I know that the current investors for the new company, they really want to take it big. And I'm down with that. Like that for me is very exciting. Like I don't, 
want to sell the company when we're only doing 10 million in revenue or 20 million in revenue. For me, I would like to go big. I mean, if I'm committing a lot of my life to it right now, that's exciting. I don't yeah. know what the future holds. Hopefully it's age as well. Who knows? But like, <laughs> you always want to shoot big. Right, right. And how long do you think it'll take until you guys start looking at those offers? Because, mm. you know, it is hard to kind of <laughs> guess when you're going to hit that certain revenue. But, yeah. um, you know, at a certain point, doesn't it become almost predictable? It does. I would say that with a CPG company, with a product that is in a blue ocean, I think you'd want to put between six to, six to 10 years into it. Yeah. That's a pretty safe bet. If you aren't having significant off, I mean, if you're not, if you're not hitting certain revenue milestones, even after three or four years, after a while, you're going to wonder if it's worth it. I mean, True. a business should be scaling. But I think that if you want to have a meaningful exit, the six to the 10 year mark is pretty safe. Yeah. So that's sort of where I'm shooting for right now. And that's a mixture of, again, direct to consumer sales and retail distribution. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you're going kind of uh, all in on that, but I, you're also, you also have the podcast and you're mm -hmm. also, are you doing anything else outside of that? So I would say my life is split into sort of three parts right now. And I say three parts, but I mean, ultimately, the majority of my time is invested in building a startup because that is the, the, the biggest time suck for sure. Yeah. A ton of work. The other things that I'm building would be my personal brand. And a passion project that I'm heavily involved in, um, I'm helping two other partners build a private equity firm that focuses on investing in startups. You're and telling me about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that doesn't take as much of my time. Um, I have two partners that do a lot of the work for that just because I don't have the time, but that's always something that I've been passionate about. So uh, as, as, you know, as my career progresses, as my life progresses, um, I love working with business owners. I love working with entrepreneurs. I love helping them understand uh, what works, what doesn't based on my experiences. I mean, I like investing in businesses. I like finding good opportunities. That to me, I can do for the rest of my life because yeah. that isn't, it's a lot of work. It's not, a, it's not as much work as building a startup from the ground up. So I mean, 100%. like if this, if on me goes very well in, in my future, angel investing, uh, investing in different companies, both cash flowing and more uh, like high risk startups, that's probably where I want to go. Yeah. But that's, that's where everybody who has like a good career, good exit eventually goes. They want to invest. They want to sort of like give back to the, the business community. Yeah. And I think if you have that personal brain and you take it with you, then I mean, anything else you promote is going to. So you want to look at somebody who's done this well, but not. So I'm looking at startups. I'm looking at tech companies. I'm looking at cash flowing businesses. And I would leverage my personal brand to find both deals. Because if you're trying to invest, you need deal flow and yes. you need investment, right? Yep. Because you don't always invest 100% of your own money. In fact, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. You usually find a pool of investors or LPs and you invest their money because you can find good deals. You can find good businesses. You can help them grow and you can sort of fix the things that are wrong, right? Right. So if you have a personal brand, you can, you can find both. Now, who's done this very well for real estate is Grant Cardone. So Grant Cardone has a huge brand and he finds good deals and he finds a lot of investors through his personal brand. Yep. So in the future, maybe I want to do that with more traditional investment, venture capital startups. That's something that I could see working really, really well. And I don't think a lot of people understand the power of personal brand when it comes to uh, building out a VC firm, building out a private equity firm, because these are not the industries where personal brand has really come prevalent. No. But you start to see leaders in these types of firms starting to understand it. Yeah. So like, um, uh, for example, David Rubenstein, um, uh, Carlisle Group, like he's going on podcasts more, like he's putting himself out there, one of the largest private equity firms in the world. So you start to see people that maybe at one point in their career were more legacy thinkers in terms of personal brand, but they didn't really get it. It doesn't make sense. Now they're trying to put themselves out, themselves out there so they can start to build an audience and a community around their name. Yep. So, I mean, if you look at some of the industry leaders that are starting to adopt it, who are in pr pretty legacy industries like private equity, 
Um, if that person is going to do it, like, why wouldn't you? You understand the value. You see people that are not even like the Gary V's and the Grant Cardones, but people that have built billion dollar fortunes. And that's like the only thing they haven't done. They haven't built a strong personal brand. These people are all billionaires in private yeah. equity and they haven't built a personal brand. And now they're trying to double down and get more exposure because they, they want that and it's going to help them do whatever they choose to do. And it will also help them. Um, I think, uh, I think it's just a general net positive for their business. So if you look at a big bank or a big private equity firm, or even like a VC firm, and it's just a firm, it humanizes the business, right? Same like you look at uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, who has more followers on Twitter? It's, yeah. it's Musk, right? And if you look at Richard Branson and Virgin, it's Branson who has more of a community around him. So it doesn't matter what you're in. The point is having a personal brand humanizes the business. It's like the, almost like the celebrity CEO, right? Yep. Like you want to put yourself out there. So start now with something you're passionate about and you don't know where it will go, but it'll be, in my opinion, a net positive as long as you're comfortable putting yourself out. I mean, you're doing this is your job. This is your life. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, for somebody that works at those higher level companies or, you know, is, is, is kind of like a banker or, you know, has a VC firm, how much quicker can they build their personal brand versus somebody else that's, you know, just kind of like a normal business owner? Cause they have the money. They can, they yeah. can essentially pay, you know, big money to kind of do all the stuff that we really have. We have to work really hard for. I mean, overnight you can become known because you can pay for traditional PR. Yeah. But I do think that the strength in a personal brand is somebody's willingness to be super authentic and not give a shit. That is really, that is really the strength. And I think that a lot of people that operate at that level because they built their career without putting themselves out there all the time, only as much as they have to, I feel like they may not be as comfortable doing that. So I'm not saying they don't have a leg up because they have, a, they have multi-million dollar marketing budgets. Yeah. But I do know that Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone and those people, and, and probably you when you first started out and me as well, I just started by posting stuff that I cared about. Yeah. That's literally it. And then you find that tribe and you double down on it. And I mean, they have a huge advantage, but social media, organic reach, understanding friends, understanding which platforms expose you to the widest audience. If you do a little bit of research, the, the, the playing field is a little bit more even than it used to be. Take me through that because, um, you know, not too many people know how to do that type of stuff. And they're thinking like, you know, I don't know what the fuck to talk about. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what to post about. Um, yeah. I mean. So if, okay, so if I was going to start off, obviously you're probably uh, focused on a job or a business that you're in. And I would say for content ideas, day one, uh, figure out who your target customer is, and then you're going to be answering questions that your target customer would have. So literally write, if you don't, if you can't think of questions, which as a business owner, I really doubt that's true. But if you're listening to your demos or your pitches or your discovery calls, like write out the questions that your customer's asking you before they close the deal, yep. like literally write them out and sit in front of a camera, or if you have a tough time talking to a camera, then invite a friend over and just tell the friend to ask you those questions. Record that, and that's your content. Yeah. That is, that's, it's really not that complicated. Now you can figure out after you record that content, you want long form, you want short form, you want to put it up on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Reels, Snapchat, Spotlight, YouTube, Shorts, whatever it is. But the point is, that's really the premise for the content. You're answering questions that your audience wants answered, and that's going to help you in a business context. It's going to build a tribe around things that you know. Yeah. Right. And with so many, with so many social media platforms, where do they post? Are they posting as well um, where their target audience is or should they post in all platforms to see what sticks? I, I, okay. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a little nuts because I post everywhere all the time. And I did that before I had a team Yeah, because I figured out a process on, and, and I, this is why I started the podcast, right? Because I have conversations with people 
who would be talking about things that I'm passionate about that I would hope my audience would be passionate about as well. And podcasts were a great way and a great medium to have content that I could eventually chop up into little bits and distribute everywhere, right? My podcast goes into uh, 30 to 60 second clips for all the short form video apps. Yep. Um, I have uh, quotes that go up on Twitter. I have obviously the podcast that goes up on my RSS feed on, on YouTube. I take the podcast, transcribe it with a tool called otter.ai, and then I turn that into a newsletter that goes out. So I found a content form that allowed me to go everywhere without too much work. Um, if you don't want to do that, then I would say you should test at the beginning at least one post per platform per week minimum. Oh, but yeah. I would double down and triple down on the one that gives you the highest returns. Right. So I would still show up everywhere as much as possible because realistically what's showing up, right? Like if you already have a 30 second uh, TikTok clip, it may not be optimized for Twitter or it may not be optimized for Facebook, but still throw it up there. But I mean, if you're, if you're building a huge audience on TikTok, for whatever reason, and they love that content and they love the stuff you're putting out, like triple down on that. Yeah. Triple down on that. That's where you're going to be known. Um, but I think the easiest way to do that, uh, in my opinion, is to go everywhere, which means that you have that one like sort of pillar piece of content. And then you just clip it out and just push it everywhere. Being omnipresent. Uh, it's the easiest, but it's the hardest also at the same time. I mean, you have yeah. to have a process. You have to really be committed to this. I think that a lot of people, like if they just started, that would be a good first step. They just started with a small little video clip answering those questions. Push, pushing it up to social, that would be the best way to like get off the ground. Yeah. But I also think, um, you know, don't you have to have like, don't you have to have some sort of personality in order to actually no, grow? No, you definitely don't. No. No, you don't. Cause you have to be useful. You can be entertaining, mm. but if you're useful, people will, it'll, it'll still resonate with people. Yeah. So, so if look you're not at, entertaining, look at like, um, value. look at Lex, uh, Lex, uh, Friedman, uh, his podcast, if I'm, his podcast is like one of the top ranked podcasts. He's like a super monotone, like, <laughs> I think he's like a, a, a professor from, I think MIT, if I'm not mistaken, but he's had like Zuckerberg on his podcast. He's had Musk on like three times. Like yeah. he's a content creator. He's incredibly articulate, very smart. And he's not necessarily that charismatic or entertaining. He just shows up, delivers tons of value. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, for anybody listening, that means, uh, you know, you guys don't have no any, excuse. Yeah, There's literally no, no excuse, excuse ever. And, and it doesn't have to be like business. It could be like if you if you're starting like a dog walking business, like push out content about that, because that will also act as demand generation and top of funnel for any business that you create. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. Um, all right. So tell me, you know, for, for people that are listening that have uh, never heard of you before, um, you know, what what is it that you want to be known about? And, you know, from five years, five years looking back, you're yeah. going to be like, OK, yeah, like, you know, I totally did what I wanted to do. Um, man, that's a good question. Uh, five years looking back, what do I want to be known for? Um, I, I think that the reason why I'm building out another company is because I want to have a big win, like a household name, a household name that I've been able to build up with an incredible team from the ground up and have that, you know, like as the Scott built this. Why though? Why does that matter to you? To me, it's like, it's a, it's an accomplishment. It's an accomplishment that I was able to take something from zero to billions of dollars. Yeah. I have no idea if I'll be able to accomplish it. And if not, there's a lot of like, you know, milestones along the way that I still, I'm still happy with where I'm at right now. But the point is, I think that's an incredible, an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. Now, if say I can't do that, what I can do is, is at least deploy capital and invest in companies to create a minimum a billion dollars worth of value. Yeah. So if I can't do it on my own with one company, I know that I could take several companies from the ground up from zero to 10, which is somewhat my sweet spot right now, and uh, provide tons of value to the world at large through startup investment and, and helping founders sort of navigate their way through their first you know, few sales, few customers. So 
for me, it's like, how do I, how do I have a billion dollar mark on this world? That would be a level of accomplishment for me. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Like, why does it need to be a billion dollars in, in value or in an exit or something like that? Is it because, yeah, no, actually. Because why not? Because if someone else has done it, then why can't I? Yeah. And that sounds ludicrous. But ultimately, if you build a, first of all, if you build a company to a billion dollar plus valuation, it's not like you are running Walmart. You're running a company that's known, that has contributed and benefited a significant amount of people. I feel like when you cross that billion dollar threshold, you have now given back more to the world um, than just something that can put money into your pocket. Because you can make, you can build a good company and you can make significant money more than you'll ever need. And the company will never be known. Even if you had like a smaller company that say like had like a 10 million annual recurring revenue rate and you sold it for $50 million and say you were hundred percent owner. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or even like 50%, say you had $25 million banked after an exit, that company's not going to be known no. more often than not, but you're pretty comfortable for the foreseeable future, right? Depends on which city you live in, but I mean like, let's be real. Like <laughs> yeah. you're still pretty good. Yeah. So I think that to have a, a big impact on the world, you have to play big. And I really do believe if more people shot big, then at least wherever they ended up would be meaningful. Yeah. So, I mean, like you don't need to be there, but if other people have done it, then why not you? Why not me? Right. 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 Well, dude, it was amazing. Where can people find you? Um, you can go to Instagram at Scott D. Clary or scottdclary.com. All the links, podcasts, all that stuff there. Got it. Well, I appreciate you. You had a, you know, you had a phenomenal uh, session. Thanks, And man. thank you so much, dude. Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing me on. How are we with time? I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. 
I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 